I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a nuance that I think attorney might be somebody who's completed law school who's not practicing law. Oh, okay. Let, let your listeners Google it to be sure. Okay. Okay. I call, I call my I call myself both. You do. Okay. Now I'm going to let people know that our relationship we met 30 plus years ago when I was working at a video camera shop and you came in to buy a camera from me and 30 years later we still run into each other and we're still say hi to each other which is amazing but when I met you you were with the city of Kansas City Missouri is that correct uh Jackson County I Jackson with, County I was a pros- prosecutor for the state of Missouri uh prosecuting crimes that occur within Jackson County now are those was that your first job coming out of law school my very first job in fact my first assignment was in the paternity establishment unit of the family support division of the prosecutor's office. So if a woman has a baby and she gets state aid, the government wants to know who the father is, right. who she thinks the father is, so they can try and recoup some of the child support. Um, so that was my first gig. And then – so – so, I guess I should go back even further than that. What you led you into deciding to become a lawyer to begin with? Did you like to argue with people? Is it you were just interested in right and wrong? Was it, was there something else? What, what led you down that road to begin with? Marijuana. Well, that uh, is, is was actually, that a was no, that I, I was going to say is that I is your proclivity for a marijuana or a marijuana charge that you needed to help yourself or someone else out of? Or can you not say I, either? I, no, I actually always wanted to be a surgeon. And I, and when I got to college, I enrolled in pre-med courses, but I was so unfocused because I was partying all the time that my grades were pathetic. And so on spring break, my freshman year in college, my folks said, okay, we're not paying for you to go back to school. You've lost your scholarship. Uh, you, what, what are you going to do different? And I said, okay, I'll be a lawyer. Because my dad was a lawyer okay. forever. And he was a part-time prosecutor for Jackson County from 1964 through 2012. Wow. And he was uh, – he tried some of the most high-profile criminal cases uh, that we ever had in the state, that we ever had in the county. Right? right, and there were there were some big ones. I mean, I remember growing up here, there were some ones down there, Westport, serial killer, which Berdella, or was that in Jackson County? It was, but my dad didn't do that one. Oh, okay. He did one of his most famous was. Uh, be, there were two abortion doctors. This is back in the 70s before abortion was legalized. Uh-huh. And uh, one was a Kansas doctor. One was a Missouri doctor. Uh, the Missouri doctor taught, let me think, uh, taught the Kansas guy how to do the procedures. And so the Kansas guy's making money. Well, Kansas legalized abortion. And so the Kansas guy starts making a fortune working through the hospital system. And the Missouri guy was jealous, hired a hitman or vice versa. But it was a cold-blooded contract killing. And 
I have recently, my dad passed away a couple of years ago, and I unearthed the trial transcript. And man, it is, yeah, it's just bone chilling to read through. Uh, When the contract killer went into the doctor's house, the doctor was alone at night with his uh, secretary slash girlfriend. And he put them on their knees and blew the doctor's head off with a shotgun and, you know, just said goodnight to the woman and left. Well, I guess if it's a job to them, it's a job to them. But wow. I mean, so have you ever found anything that you've been associated with hard to just shake or whether it's time? I mean, just something just so bone chilling. Like you said, just reading the transcripts was bone chilling. So have you been involved in anything yourself that was just very hard or difficult to go through the process with or shake after the process was over? Um, I tell you the most chilling criminal uh, was one of my own. I mean, and you know, it's not among the most gruesome crimes that I've, prosecuted or you know known about right. uh, the guy was pulled over in a car up on i-35 because his plates were wrong or something and as soon as he got pulled over on the highway he jumps out of the car and unloads a 15 round clip into the police officer's car and hit the police officer twice in the face now i mean that is abject disregard for any authority right you get pulled over by the police for whatever reason you know whether you're on the run for a murder or carrying drugs which i guess this guy was right uh, to jump out and just open fire and try and kill you know the only people that keep society civilized yeah the cops survived um, but i listened to the six hours of 911 and police department phone calls that followed that shooting. And that was just, it was just really brutal. Yeah. Uh, His wife didn't know if he was alive or dead. The cops had a hard time getting to the scene. They couldn't get an ambulance there because of traffic. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I mean, there's some things that, and, and it's so weird where you don't think maybe that it's not that you're, unshakable but you you just don't think about the, i guess the things that could linger with you i was going to visit our youngest or actually we were moving her in a year ago and i was coming up the day after my wife and daughter had gone up there and i was driving across iowa and it was it's two lane highway and it, traffic was pretty packed i mean you couldn't really change lanes you couldn't do anything everyone was driving good clip and all of a sudden on this divided highway, I see dually tires with an axle bouncing across the median. Whoa. So I hit my brakes and the tires hit the car next to me, brings it to a dead stop. Oh. The tires split and go, fly over my car and it, it killed the three people instantly in the car next oh to me. Oh my God. And, and I, and, and to, I never thought, I mean, I've heard about PST, PSTD. PTSD, sorry, PTSD. And, you know, I've just never experienced anything in my life, I think, traumatic enough that may have instantly kicked something in like that. 
But I, I am a wreck on any long distance travel. I mean, so sometimes you do in, you know, I don't, th- it's not like something that I think about every day, but if, if we're talking about, Hey, we're going to drive to Colorado or Co- Chicago again or anything that gets in my head. So I, you know, I just, I, I figured you were around a lot of cases and those, those would be difficult. And now, so you were with the prosecutor's office for Jackson County. And how long did you stay as a prosecutor? I was there from January 1st, 1988 through December 31st of 1994. Wow. Now, and, so as a prosecutor, and then you left, did you become a defense attorney then? I went to the dark side, as they say. Now, is that, I mean, yeah. but to me, and I have heard that term before, but everyone needs a defense. And so, Absolutely. I mean, and so yeah. when, you know, because that's why I personally, and I, I don't have anything to do with the occupation itself, but I've never really liked that term because, you know what, if I get accused of something, especially if it's something I didn't do, I want someone very, very good for me. So if they're up from the dark side, then so be it. I'll take it from them. So, but so. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's a term of endearment that we use for ourselves and that the state uses for ourselves. Prosecutor's job, I think, is the most fun you can have as an attorney because – That's what I was going to ask next. Yeah. If you have a good case uh, or, you know, really egregious facts, I mean, it's a case that you take to trial. Right. What happens if you have a shit case and you know it? You can get rid of it. Okay. You can plead it, and if they don't plead it, if if there's an issue with respect to actually being able to make the case, you dismiss it. Right. And bad cases shouldn't be filed to begin with. A lot of times there are exigent circumstances. You know, the police, they go out and uh, arrest somebody because there's a Westport shooting or something like that. And, you know, they don't always have time to do a full investigation before the arrest is made. You know, if something like that happens, you want them in custody and they have to get charged and be in front of a judge within 24 hours. And it later turns out that... Uh, they've got the wrong person or they can't make the causal connection with the evidence, then, you know, they start over. So you think that being a, a prosecutor is more, I don't know if fun's the correct term. So, but it, did you enjoy yeah. that part of it more than being a defense attorney? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Defense attorney, uh, You, I always tell my fellow lawyers, like, it's hard because you get to like your pets, right? I mean, right. you be, you know, as a prosecutor, I used to cringe when I would see public defenders or defense attorneys putting their arms around their criminal clients at trial. But the fact is, nobody is as bad as the worst thing they've done. I mean, they're all people, just right. like you and me, right? They've got lives, they've got stories, and they're usually in trouble for the worst thing they've done. Right. And likely you know they've had the awareness slapped into them to shape up and grow up and they would never do it again but here they are and so you can't help but develop an attachment to most of your clients you got some psychopaths like the cop shooter for instance i could never ever bond with him ever right i mean i I mean could you just see in the person's eyes or just feel their presence that yeah this is not a good person yeah, absolutely. So is that palatable? The jail. That's crazy. Yeah, you go up to the jail, and you know the psycho would keep. You know, I got him a, I got him an offer. He would have done seventeen years, and 
he would have been released, but he would have been deported. Um, but he kept saying, you know, no, I, I, Jesus is telling me that you're going to save me. It's like, did you never hear the story about the guy who died in a flood? You know, they first set off the sirens, then they sent the boats by, then they sent a helicopter by yeah. to save the guy who's on top of his roof. And then he died. He's like, God, why didn't you send me a sign? It's like, buddy. Send you a whole so bunch of signs. This client kept saying, right. This client is like, no, I've been, Jesus tells me that you're going to save me. I'm like, well, I think you're misinterpreting the message that was delivered to you. So, yeah. yeah and, you know, somebody that crazy using the religious explanation is, oh, give me the willies. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So, so then I guess my follow up question to that is: since being a prosecutor was fulfilling fun, however we want to term that, why go to the? Is it money? Because I do understand that the prosecutor is a government agency, and governments are not notoriously known to overpay their employees. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had uh, the last year I was there. I had, and this was the record that year. With thirteen jury trials in uh, in twelve months. Twelve months. Wow. Yeah, and and I went in for a raise, and it, at the time the political climate was such that they weren't going to pay the lawyers because everybody wanted the jobs, but it was hard to get the administration, the administrative positions filled with quality people. So that's where they were going to focus their budget, and so my wife and I just made the decision that you know that would be as good a time as any and away I went yes now being here in Kansas City and I may remember misremember this or remember it incorrectly either way during the OJ trial I seem to remember you being on TV here on local stations as the they would talk to you after the day of the trial do I remember that correctly exactly so yeah. In fact, well, I mean, there were uh, dozens of us attorneys that John Holt, who is a, a Channel 4 news anchor, um, that kind of made him. You know, he was right. a lawyer. He was a, you know, graduated from law school. I'm not sure he took the bar, but, you know, he went into broadcasting. And so he had this, he's a lawyer, but um, he was a news reporter. And at the time, he was the perfect fit to cover the OJ case. And, right. You know, that was the first trial that they broadcast all day every day and nobody had any idea it would go on as long as it did but they would at the end of the the trial hearings in california they would come back to the station and talk to local counsel about what had gone on well you know at the beginning of the trial everybody local you know wanted to be on tv and do that right as the months dragged on it was harder and harder to get uh, the lawyers to go to the set, but my dad and I would go, and he was the prosecutor side, and I would represent the defense side. Wow, I don't, rem- I don't remember. I just remember you on there. So I, the, you know, and I was thinking about this earlier today too about the OJ trial of how different that would be today because you had to be in close proximity to a television, which I worked in a television store, so I was around televisions all the time, and that's all we had on, but. You know, I, I can't even imagine now with phones and everything in their hand, people would not be getting any work done if that trial happened today. Although I'm sure it'd be much you're different right. today, too. God, come to think about it, yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, I it, think we... I, 
I did have a, a mobile phone. It's probably a flip phone, but you know, when we were when we were not on camera, we were, the trial was just going on. Right. You know, we had printed crossword puzzles we would work on. Really, in between the. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, on the set. And, and in court, that's what everybody used to do before phones came out. Really? See, that. Yeah, crossword I, puzzle, magazines. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes for a day. So now that you've stepped out of the prosecuting side, you, you've, you've gone into, uh, to, as a defense attorney, did you start your own practice at that time, or did you join a practice when you left the prosecutor's office? I, I started on my own day one. You did? Uh, the first guy, yeah, first guy I met was in Kansas City. He's dead now. Uh, he was in Kansas City Municipal Court, and he had like 27 outstanding charges. And I quoted him what I thought was an outrageous fee, and he peeled out a, a roll of $100 bills and, and paid me. And I was like, okay, this is good. Right. This is fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That is, yeah. That is, that is crazy. Uh, I mean, that had to be fun. I mean, like you said, I had to be. You're you're thinking you're overpricing this guy. You're pricing yourself out of the job because it sounds like it may be what a, a lot of work or something that you're not interested in taking. He's like, okay, Ugh. you know, the, those are sometimes the best, but also sometimes the worst because you have that that compensation, but at the same time, you're like, I was trying not to do this. Um. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, there is a little bit of, you know, it takes a little bit of time to adjust. And I, I've i never lost, like, the spirit of a prosecutor. So when I get a criminal case, I think it's to my client's best interest that I still have that perspective where I, right. can, I can, you know, they're always like, how come you don't ask me what, you know, what my story is? I'm like, I don't need to know what your story is. I need to know what the state's story is. I need to know what the case is going to be presented against you in court. Right. I'm like, then we'll talk. Uh, right. But yeah, it's good to have had the prosecutor's experience um, going in. What the- percentage of people that go into the prosecutor's office, stay there long-term, or if they stay there long-term, is that because of political ambition? Uh, no. Very very few career prosecutors have political ambitions, okay. meaning run for office. Right. Um, they, uh, the prosecutors that are in Jackson County right now, uh, God, and the ones that have been there the longest are a uh, couple that I, you know, cut my teeth with on i just messaged one of them this afternoon michael great human being um he stayed there because he loves the work i mean really really is passionate about the work Uh, a lot of the prosecutors from the state you know the county prosecutors will move on to the u.s attorney's office where you prosecute federal cases in fact uh in kansas city the federal prosecutor's offices the U.S. the Western District U.S. Attorney's Office. So we they cover this part of the state. I think there's Eastern, Western, and uh, Southern. I could be wrong, but half of the Western District United Assistant United States Attorneys uh, are former Jackson County prosecutors. So that would be if they wanted to say on the prosec- prosec- prosecutor side. Yes, prosecutor side. 
the net, but they say they wanted to make more money than what the, the local. That would be their step. Then, they're, they're, if they wanted to stay on that side, their step would be the federal level. Uh, yeah, but now, see, nowadays career prosecutors, you know, career county prosecutors, make great money. Oh, okay. Uh, after I left, <clears throat> it's weird. The prosecutors decided to unionize. I've never heard of any such thing before, but the Jackson County Prosecutor's Office unionized. And they're still and, that way today? You know, uh, I think they're not. Okay. They don't all have to be. Okay. Um, the union that they joined, uh, that they're members of, is the Firefighters Union, which doesn't make much sense unless you understand that uh, Louis Wright, who is an attorney and was a senior firefighter, uh, and very, very politically active in Kansas City at one time. He was the guy behind the union movement, and he had been a clerk for uh, federal Judge Sachs. Um, and this the whole time he's still a firefighter, right? Right. He would have ju- junior firefighters cover his shifts while he went to law school and worked as a lawyer. Um, but that's when the prosecutors unionized, they all started making uh, much, a lot more money than they would have otherwise, and they established a scale. So, depending on your years of service, etc., you'd make progressively more money. Oh well, that's. I mean, that's great for people that want to stay on that side, and that they can now do so and get paid accordingly to their time and effort that they've put in. So that's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to do a side note because I just looked at my notes because last time I physically saw you, I ran into you and your brother, and I had an idea afterwards. This has nothing to do about the law. I believe you all need to develop an app and name it Humphrey Hare, and what it'll allow (laughs) bald guys like me to try on – I know this is a podcast and people cannot see you, but you have beautiful hair. And for bald guys, bald guys understand this. I mean, a beautiful woman could walk by me. I wouldn't notice her. But if someone walks in and has a nice head of hair, I will notice him because I've been bald now for more than half my life. So, But I was thinking you should just have an app and you could swipe back and forth between your and brother. And then it would be like an Instagram filter and you just call it Humphrey Hair. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. You do yourself a disservice. There should also be a Rodney Martin beard app because I couldn't grow a beard if I was 10 months on a deserted island with no razor, right? Uh, The second time before last that I saw you, you had this beastly hanging shag of a mane that was just, you know, it begged to be braided up and trailed in front of a Harley Davidson. And it had been braided up often. That's because I have daughters. So it was braided up and the darn pandemic took care of that. So I kept saying, hey, as long as we don't have to wear masks, I'll grow that sucker back. But here we are 20 months later and still wearing masks, at least here in town when we're recording this. So hopefully that'll change soon. But yeah, I thought about that. I was like, oh, Man, if I, it, it's funny. When someone walks by that has beautiful hair, I, my, my go-to saying is, if I had that hair, I would run the world. Um, so, but, so that was my side note. And if you decide to develop that app, I don't need any monetary compensation. I just need free access to the app so I have that filter for me. You've got it. Okay. Yeah, my younger brother actually has the thickest hair of the three of us boys. It's just like... 
it's super wiry. And my, my grandmother came from Syria. And, you know, I only remember her with super bright white hair. She could be out in the sun for 30 minutes in her garden, and she would be this beautiful dark golden brown. And, you know, contrasted with the white hair. And uh, my yeah. hair is more salt than pepper, but my younger brother's hair is whiter than mine but it it just it reminds me exactly of my grandmother's beautiful white hair it was just funny the people around me were like you're talking about their hair an awful lot and i'm like well did you see it so that i just wanted to make sure i threw that out there so that that's that may be something you need to fall back on too if this whole attorney gig doesn't work out for you all right okay hey i do have a current event question there's everything going on with the texas law where the abortion law and they're talking about how it could be the death of roe versus wade i thought we were on a precedent i thought our law was based off precedent and haven't we had like nearly 50 years of precedent with roe so i guess i'm just thrown off and i know i'm not that smart about the law can you give me any insight to that oh my i i think you have no idea how much insight i can give you um, and that law is the brainchild and result of Texas Right to Life, which is a pro-life organization uh, in Texas. I mean, there are obviously pro-life organizations all over the country and right. world, but Texas Right to Life is the largest and most powerful of its kind in the United States, and it is run by... Uh, a couple of arch conservatives, um, Jim Graham and my sister, Elizabeth Graham. Jim Graham is, uh, he runs the office management and all that. My sister is the face of Texas Right to Life and is always, well, I mean, when the Texas legislature is in session every other year, she is uh, there in Austin and <clears throat> When they're not in session, she does a lot of traveling to D.C. to do federal lobbying. Okay. And uh, I have heard phenomenal stories of the political power that Texas Right to Life wields. And I've heard how they have reacted when some of the folks that they supported for their candidacy in the legislature have turned against them. I mean, it's it's just an amazing fascinating uh, political powerhouse down there. Now, they have had, they just had their annual fundraiser uh, last weekend. Oh my God, my sister looks like, I mean, she's gorgeous anyway. She looks like a movie star all the time, but that night she was just, you know, she looked like Hollywood red carpet material. Right. I don't know how much they made, but I can tell you that <clears throat> On the tail of the passage of that very unique and controversial uh, bill that uh, the movement has never seemed stronger there. Uh, They had death threats from day one. She'd send us texts of some of the death threats, the voicemails, the the tweets, uh, Instagram posts, just – just bashing the living shit out of her. Right. And I understand that there's nothing more personal uh, 
uh, as a political agenda than uh, the abortion issue. Right. And I mean, nobody gets more fired up against or for in any other political issue that comes to mind than that one. And I don't know that the Texas uh, statute would pass U.S. constitutional muster. I know that the night before it was to take effect, it was taken to the United States Supreme Court, who declined five to four from holding a hearing on the issue. So the law went into effect, but it was very surprising based on the current uh, makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, that it wasn't addressed, that right. it wasn't struck down. So you were surprised that they decided not to address, not just kind of pass over it. Well, you know, I have, I'm a bad lawyer in the sense that, you know, I don't keep track of uh, everybody on the, on the Supreme Court, what their political leanings are, who appointed them, what their prior rulings have been, what they did as, you know, federal district judges, etc. cetera. Uh, but yes, knowing what I know generally of the, of the makeup of the Supreme Court, I would have thought otherwise. Right. Yeah. So does it does that Texas law? So you don't think it can stay in the the constitutional muster? Is what you're saying? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Just from what what brief things I've read about it is that uh, you know it may end up Roe v. Wade or it may get stricken down on some. I kind of think that what the Supreme Court ruling was was that. we're not going to strike it down on this basis, but they somehow intimated that the statute left itself open to further challenges down the road on some other basis. Yeah. And I can't tell you what the specifics of that were. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it like you say, it's such a powerhouse. I mean, it, it's such a gasoline to, to, to throw on a fire when people are talking about it and you know it's i i just don't watch uh, i don't pay enough attention on the news and you know depending on what channel you hear it's the end of the world or it's the greatest thing ever and so i just i had no idea what they were doing with that right now um i'm gonna switch gears again what is the stupidest thing a client now there's client attorney privilege correct yes does that mean they can tell you anything, or are there certain things you don't want to know? Um, like, I cannot. I I mean, I technically am not even supposed to acknowledge that I represent a particular client. So I will have people text me all the time and say, "Hey, John Smith is in jail. That's my that's my cousin or my son. Why don't you?" do such and such. He wants to know such and such. And sometimes I will engage them, but you know, generally I just say, I don't know you. I don't, I can't even talk to you. Right. So yes, there is, there is a huge veil of privilege that surrounds the attorney client relationship. So, but, and if you can't, but could they say, like, say it was, and I don't know, say it was uh, someone was charged with murder. Have you ever – I mean, can they say, yeah, I did it, but I want you to get get me – I mean, do they ever acknowledge that? I mean, or is that something that 
they're they're going to try to pretend like they didn't do it, whether they did it or not. I had a guy that, um, and this has been well, it was probably 1995 or six when I was very first out in private practice. He was charged with uh, raping a woman, and the story was that the woman was a, a crack holder, you know, for want of a better term, and that. He had her come over to his house. He had crack, but that he forced himself upon her sexually. And as it turns out, he had three or four prior cases just like that brought against him. But the women, because they were, you know, unstable in their life circumstances. Right. right. Well, I mean, they just they never pursued the prosecution. I mean, they filed the police report, but the prosecutors couldn't keep track of them. And they ended up having to dismiss the cases. This lady, however, got herself clean long enough to take the case, you know, and push it to the edge of trial. And uh, right. I remember right before we walked out of my office, he said to me, yeah, John, he's like, I did take that booty, but she knew she knew what I wanted. And I was just I was just sickened, you know, because he had denied it up to that point. But, yeah, I took it. I'm like, you know, that's somebody's sister or daughter, you know, you it's, don't get to take something like that. Dude. It's a, it's amazing what people like, and you know, what they'll, what they may say that they've done or what they've done is totally different now. It amazes me now how people videotape the dumb shit that they do. Oh my God. And it's like, dude, so if you, here, here's if another. Had phones when you, if they had had phones when you and I were in high school, uh, yeah. Yeah, We'd I know. Yeah, we would have. And and that's – it was funny. For the longest time, like I said, I, I had been wanting to start a podcast, and I hadn't. And when people would ask me, why don't you want to start a podcast? What fear, What scares you? I go, because everything I record could be used as evidence. And they just look at me. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. And so it's really a joke. But, you know, it's, it is. it is. I mean, like when I'm recording my words, they're going to be out there somewhere that I can't take back. And I don't think I'm going to say anything objectionable. But I think most people don't think they're going to say something objectionable and then it comes out. But, yes, I agree with you. If you w- we would have had cameras in the 70s and 80s, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, it'd be a problem. I, I don't know what I would be like when I think about the technology that we have today. Like I think about where we met, the store I worked at. The whole time I worked there for ten years until ninety, I think I left in ninety six. We did everything longhand. Everything was done in a ledger. And there are times, oh my god, yeah. yeah. And and you know, it, that was only twenty five years ago. And and we were doing. Right. And there were computers that were coming out then, but they were. They weren't what we had now. I mean, you know, it's a, a computer then was – it really wasn't meant for business. It wasn't you brought it home and, oh, it's ready to go. You you had to write your own programs and all that stupid stuff, I think, back then. But it, it, right. it's, it, it's funny how things have changed. But I, I say that all the time to our, – our youngest was going to a – her and her roommate from college and two guys were going to a lake house this summer. And she had asked for the Go or GoPro, and I just had the talk with her. I go, just remember what you put on video. I go, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, oh, I, I, yeah. I don't care, but I mean, but I'm also a different. Uh, I, I mean, I was just like, just 
beware. I don't care what you guys do. I mean, because th- this is one of the things that we raise our kids and then we let them go. And if they make a decision that we don't agree with, that's fine. They 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 were raised right. I'm 100% sure about that. And now it's on them. It's a, it's their decisions they make. So, But it's just GoPro, a GoPro your whole life. Just don't uh, upload it. Oh, my gosh. I know. My my wife and I say if they videotaped us, it would be a, a great reality show. But then again, we would probably get in a lot of trouble too. So, um, what's the best thing about being an attorney? Uh, the best thing about being a criminal defense attorney, solo practitioner, is uh, the personal freedom it affords me for the sake of my family. For instance, uh, my youngest daughter has Down syndrome, goes to a high school in Lee Summit, and we don't have a ride for her. So every day at 2.30, no matter what, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I have to head out and pick her up. Uh, I get home about 3.45, and then our 21-year-old daughter, who's also who's totally disabled, she, come home, she comes home from Dayhab on a bus, and we don't have afternoon caregivers because of the COVID. And so I get her off the bus, get her out of her wheelchair, change her diaper, feed her. I wouldn't be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to. I mean, I don't know what we'd do right. if I had a traditional nine to five. But, you know, before even I had kids, I mean, I was uh, if I didn't have to be in court, you know, I, I could play a lot of golf. I could do a lot of home improvement projects. I, you know, you're able to set your own schedule when you work for yourself. You know, the the. The right. converse of that is that you don't have a regular paycheck. Right. I mean, you can make a million dollars in one day and then go six months without a call on a parking ticket. No, I've met a, never made a million dollars in one day. Right. You make a million dollars every day you get to spend with your family. A lot of people, because I don't think our ages are that different, and a lot of people ask me why I do what I do at this age. And it's like, well, I, you know, I wish I had more money, but the money that I make is good. The benefits are good, and... I'm home nights and weekends, so I get to hang out with my family. And, and at this point in my life, that's the most important thing to me. So, I mean, that's that that's amazing because that was not the answer I was expecting when I when I asked you. So, that's that's amazing. What you so, what do you think I what do you think I, I would say? I don't know. Like, you know, the, standing up and and showing the, the these charges. I, I'm Teflon for these. We're going to make all these charges, but I I I don't know. I. I'm not an attorney. I don't know what, you know, being in court and yelling at people and doing the you can't handle the truth type stuff. I mean, no. I I didn't know what it would be, but but that's a much more amazing answer than any other answer that would involve an office or a courtroom. So, because I'm yeah. in the same exact boat. I mean, my family if uh it, <laughs> It was funny. My my wife, we're we're very religious people and we believe in in heaven and the afterlife and and uh, my my wife's office was having trouble filling a position, and I was like, "Why don't you hire me?" I go, "Then I get to spend an extra forty hours a week with you." And she's like, "I can't do that." And I was like, "Okay, so let me get this right. You can spend eternity with me in heaven, but an extra forty hours a week." That that just draws the line right there, and, and we both laughed about it. But but it is nice to be able. That would count. That would count for eons in purgatory, right? If she had to work with you, also, 
Yes. Tell her you'd be in heaven that much quicker together. Well, I always joke that, and I don't want this to sound the wrong way when I say we need to arrive in heaven at the same time, but I really need that to happen because I need when we get to the pearly gates, I need to just be able to say I'm with her, and they're like, okay, I guess that's her plus one because I there it may be iffy with me on the on the other side of that. So hey, I used to. I, I get it. There's a there's a, six Humphrey children and my mother who were trying to ride in my dad's coattails. Right. Yeah. It's uh it's tough though, but uh, I I love it. And that's uh, next time I have you on, we'll we'll discuss a lot of other things cuz I still have a ton of questions for you. And my last one I'm going to leave you with you is going to be out of left field. Do you still do any modeling? <laughs> Uh, no, you don't. don't actually. I'm telling you, no. you could still do it. And with that hair, even, I don't know if there's such a thing as a hair model, but if there was, well, you could start the Humphrey agency. I'll wrap it up with this. The modeling business changed tremendously with the advent of instant technology. Uh, like when I left modeling full time, uh, I think I had only done a couple of catalogs that were shot digitally. Everything else was still uh, large print film. They would take a text picture with a Polaroid and see how the lighting looked and whatnot. But you know, after that, they would switch over to to film. But digital was just becoming big when I got out of it. I some reason I also have this flashback. Did you do a lottery television commercial? Yes, I did. Okay. Lucky seven. Okay, I thought it was like it. Yeah, in fact, that that was right at the time. Uh, that was right in the year that OJ was going on. So I was on OJ on. Yeah, trial. that that's why I saw you on TV week. all the time. Right. Yeah, right. It, was, it was John yeah, my Overload. Name was Pete. Yeah. So my name was Pete in that commercial, and I got teased a lot. You know what's funny Great is I. I'll remember stuff like that, but I'll be at a restaurant and someone will choke, and I'll totally forget how to do the Heimlich maneuver. But nope, I remember John on that uh, on that Lotto commercial. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for being on the show tonight, and I hope to have I'm you honored. on again really, really soon. It's been a lot of fun. I got a lot of my questions answered. I'm sure I will come up with additional questions before we uh, talk again. And before we talk again, I hope I get to see you too. Amen, brother. Okay. John, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll talk to you later. Have a great one. All right. Everyone, thank you for tuning into the show today. It was my pleasure to have John Humphrey, attorney at law, on. It was so much fun to talk to him, ask him certain questions. Just a real blast for me. So until next time, this is Rose signing off.